Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode one of Boxed In, the podcast where we talk about cult movies and genre films while being literally boxed in. The idea behind the show is just to talk about movies once a week while stuck at home during quarantine. My name is Mass Buzidi, and I'm the host and creator. I'm joined today by five guests. Do you guys want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Jackson. I'm Jackson Beebe, one half of the Farmhouse Films duo. Um, and uh, if... I mean, yeah, I guess you could tell a little bit about me about my favorite movie, which is uh, The Lighthouse, as of right now. Um, and I've, other, I've, I've also got some other favorites up there, so that's me. I'm the other half of the Farmhouse Films duo. I'm Cole Pletchel Silva. Um, and because I'm also the other half of the duo, we have the same favorite movie, The Lighthouse, which is <laughs> by chance, yeah. Was yeah. it Mishima too? Uh, it's Mishima. It's kind of tight. I don't know, man. They're both good. I, I love Mishima. But yeah, I'm Nico Pedro Setzer. Um, my my favorite movie changes depending on the day, but I'll go with Train Spotting for now. Good choice. Hi, I'm Kyle. Uh, my favorite movie is Princess Mononoke. Uh, probably tied with Superbad for also my favorite movie, just based off how rewatchable it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Kyle. Cool. Uh, I'm James Dodd, and my favorite movie is Big Lebowski. So, yeah. Great. All right, I everyone. See that. My favorite movie <laughs> is uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and I guess that kind of leads us into today's topic of discussion, which is spaghetti westerns. So today will all be about uh, low-budget Italian westerns of bad dubbing, great music, and extreme close-ups on eyes. All right, so what are our thoughts on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? That's good. Perfection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> and it really stands the test of time. And all the performances, especially Eli Wallach. Yeah. They're, just, they're tremendous. But yeah. What? It's funny that Eli Wallach, because Eli Wallach is like the main, he's not the main character. Obviously, it's the good, the Clint, it's Clint Eastwood's movie. He carry, carries the film. But yeah, like yeah. Eli, Eli Wallach is by far the most interesting character in that movie, I think. Yeah. Like Angel, yeah, absolutely. Eyes, is, Angel Eyes is pretty like one dimensional, but like perfectly one dimensional. And he's given that one scene in the Confederate base of like kind of like, uh, um, like they're building his character there but like other than that he's just like a guy that looks evil and is evil you know but like and the good is just he doesn't say much and he's kind of just like squinting and like chewing a cigar but like eli wallach is like the greatest character in that movie and that yeah, scene well, with padre I, ramirez is great oh yeah but there's just like such a clear dichotomy between uh the good and the bad and then you have this like absolute wild card in 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 the ugly that's just kind of like i don't know he he maintains the engagement throughout just because you, you just never know what he's going to do. Um, yeah, I, he's double crossing and it's fantastic. I, I completely agree because looking at the other Westerns we watch, which, you know, we'll get into in a second. Yeah. Um, I think what stands out about this one is that uh, just, uh, yeah, the wild card that is the ugly because you got the good and the bad and that itself is part of the, you know, Western archetype. Yeah, of uh, course, the lone hero who walks into town. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. For sure. And then you get to the ugly, and you can see a lot of fleshed out things about him that you usually don't see in a third character in these types of westerns. So sure. I think that's probably, a, like, you know, when I go back and think about it, I don't think about the good or the bad. I think about the ugly. And, uh, yeah. Well, On actually, top. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the channel name is uh, named after uh, the bad. So I think, I think personally, he's kind of slept on, but I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, Lee Van Cleef, uh, amazing, amazing, just visual look through his face. 
But yeah. Cole wanted to say something. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's, yeah, on top of that, uh, it, it kind of, by having like these two um, forces going against the good, you kind of have this more, uh, this more, te- more tension going on there because he has to juggle all these things and he has these different threats coming at him at the same time. And it's just more tension because the stakes are higher and it's just and these different character relationships are being juggled at the same time and it's just really impressive how uh how it's done yeah and can we talk about its runtime too like it's a really long movie uh and yeah. it's i think it's two, two hours and 58 minutes like the cut with the, the 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 more well there were two cuts of the movie there was the original cut and then there's a 161 minute theatrical cut and then there's the uh just three-hour extended cut. Yeah, well, it's the, extent, the extended cut is the cut that's available now. That's like the it's the cut that basically has the lost footage of Angel Eyes going to the Confederate base, uh, and you have that great 360 shot, which is like my favorite scene of all time. Uh, so I mean, that's like that's I think they just got added on Netflix, and that's like that's like the cut they have. So I, I like to think of that as like the ultimate cut, you know. But what do we think about like how long it is? I, I think it like it flies by. Other than the I guess the Prisoner of War stuff is kind of long, but like. Yeah, I think I don't the know only... if it... Oh, so well, right, I was gonna say, I don't think it flies by, but uh, there's some like whenever you watch a Leone, like you know, you're in for an epic and you know, you're in for three hours, and you kind of just settle with that idea and you're carried throughout mm-hmm. by uh, yeah. the immaculate craft on display. I, but I mean, like when you're watching The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, like the runtime, it's it's like has very good pacing, like immaculate pacing mm-hmm. for how long it is. Like by the time that you get to the ghost town scene, you're like so hooked into the movie that like it like truly doesn't matter how long it is. You're just you're gonna enjoy the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I found that it ran by pretty quickly. The only time that it kind of slowed down, I feel like, is when they're uh, about to blow up the bridge. You know, I can agree with that. Camp. That's yeah. like the only time where it's like. But besides that, it's very quick paced and just mm-hmm. enjoyable. Now, how about Leon? Because Leone, I, I, he has like these scenes. I, I like to call them like scenes of tenderness, which is like they're kind of what not uh, random, for lack of a better word. They're kind of like randomly placed in the movie. Like there's the like scene, with the, sh- the soldier, the dying soldier, right before yeah. the big ecstasy of gold scene and the trio when they have the big gun duel. Um, before that which is like the, the climax of the movie, which is so overwhelming. You have this small, intimate scene of uh, Blondie and the dying soldier. Where it's a, kind of like the passing of the cigar, you know, it's so beautiful. And then you also have the scene of Tuco and his brother, Padre Ramirez, who Luigi Pastelli, he's like in four of the movies we're talking about today. <laughs> um, uh, and then you also have the scene, like I said before, the Confederate base scene. It's like, what do you, like, do you guys notice that? Like, Leone has those scenes a lot, but especially in The Good, The Bad, Ugly, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, they add a lot of like emotional oomph to each of the characters, and and without these detours, like um, I don't know, seeing as there's normally like the strained relationship between the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. like if if you wouldn't have these little uh, moments of tenderness, you you wouldn't really get the full dimension of the characters that are navigating the film. Yeah, because I, I think it's really easy at, uh, at first glance to kind of just label them the good, the bad, and the ugly. But really, for being such like straightforward characters for most of the movie, they're pretty like complex. Like the good is the good, sure, but he also kills the most people in the movie. The bad is he's the bad, but like he has that one scene yeah. where he has like <laughs> <laughs> where he has like that that um 
like I keep going back to the Confederate base scene because it's really, really good. Like you see, like he's just disgusted by like the loss that comes from the Civil War, and then the ugly is just like, like just so like he has so much depth to him. You know what I mean? So like he's he's a, he's an ugly personality, and he's kind of a bad guy, but like he's. He's, he's got like redeemable qualities, but what I'm trying to say is that like neither of them is just good, bad, or ugly, you know what I mean? And I, and I think that that's that comes from like watching the movie multiple times where you kind of like get those things, yeah. Yeah, and, very and I think that's why the, the movie is so, you know, good, especially compared to the other movies that we're talking about. And, you know, my, my uh, opinion as uh, someone who does not like spaghetti westerns as much is going to start the show right now because... Uh, in the other movies, uh, which I, I'm just gonna say them right now because, you know, in most yeah, of yeah, my yeah. Uh, pro, you know, discussion, I'm gonna be uh, calling back to them. So, Once Upon a Time in the West, The Great Silence, Navajo Joe, and The <laughs> Mercenary are the other films that we're talking about. Um, and we, yeah, we just see a lot more nuanced character work in this one compared to those other oh films, i disagree and i think that we can like now go into once upon a time in the west leone's other masterpiece right. because that movie i think has more has just be better characters in terms of like depth and 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 like their arcs and everything like like just like just um what's his name uh, frank's character alone henry fonda's character has is millions times more like uh uh in depth than uh as a character than Lee Van Cleef uh, as the bad like and that's not even like a dig on on Angel Eyes it's just like they're completely different characters I think that not even in terms of quality of the movie like you can like Once Upon a Time in the West you can't or you can't you know but like just the characters are just so much more complex well when I uh when it comes to Angel, Angel Eyes I think it's just not awarded enough time and with Henry Fonda I think it, it's a testament to the writing uh, mm. Trio that was involved with oh, yeah. Argento and Le like it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's pretty great, and, and it really shows in uh, the the character depth and the writing and the just the structure in general. And that's also what like almost four hours, and that I mean in my opinion it flies by. Oh yeah, I think that Once Upon a Time in the West is. I love the idea of kind of like the. I mean, like you have. These two movies that came out, 68, 69, The Wild Bunch, and Once Upon a Time in the West, which are, I know we're not talking about The Wild Bunch, but just to bring it in, it's like the, the end of the West, you know, and how like cowboys and like the gun becomes obsolete and now big business is taking over, like money buys everything, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's a great line that, um, that Harmonica t tells, uh, 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 Frank at the end of the movie. He's like, I figured out that I'm not, uh, that I'm not like a businessman and, and Harmonica goes like, what are you? And he goes just a man and then Charles Bronson replies an ancient race you know it's like one of those great movie lines you're just like oof it's like perfect <laughs> it's like that kind of shit you know like I love it I, I live for that kind of crap you know it's great and going back to Henry Fonda the whole reason I mean at least for me when I was watching it um the whole reason his character works for me is because it plays off of like who he is as like in his films and how the public oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah 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 that's, that's why he sticks in my head and that's why he's yeah. so it's like um it, Jackson kind of gets what I'm referencing here, but what makes characters really interesting is this exceptions people. Like, uh, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> he knows what I'm stealing from. <laughs> uh, so like, uh, he seems like this nice guy, but really he has this back edge to him or like this hidden like horrors that lie underneath 12 Angry Men or other brave roles. 
Yeah, and and I, I remember there's there's this. I think when uh, Henry Fonda was on the Johnny Carson show, he was like talking about like a test screening for Once Upon a Time in the West. Because originally he he showed up to set with like a big like walrus Kurt Russell bone tomahawk mustache, uh, and like a uh, uh, brown because con- Henry Fonda had beautiful baby blue eyes, you know, and he came in with like contact lens, like brown contact lens, and Sergio Leone was like, "What the hell are you wearing? Like, I want to see your eyes." And when people first saw that, you know, the, when he kills the boy, spoiler alert. In the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West, and like you yeah, see the the, the, the guys in, in in Cheyenne's dusters walking out, and it's that beautiful like 180 shot, and we we see Henry Fonda's face, and apparently a woman like screamed out, "Jesus Christ, it's Henry Fonda!" <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think that celebrity impacts like that, like you know, a a context of pop culture, uh, does that legitimize or delegitimize? Uh, you know, how, I think I think both. How a film should I think it makes a statement, if anything. Uh, there's there's like a paratextual play with like I don't know, uh, playing with someone's celebrity status and using that using that to Leone's advantage with Once Upon a Time in the West. So yeah, I think it's 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 manipulating the audience. If anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But what about like you know, year 2020? You know way far after it was brought to theaters and then maybe someone like me watches it doesn't love it and then an argument against that could be like oh well look at how it plays on henry fonda's uh you know repertoire Mm. and then i'll say but i don't care about that so do do you (laughs) think that's a legitimate argument your argument or the argument that someone's bringing up you're not liking it probably (laughs) your argument probably um I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think that just like you might as well, you might not care about Henry Fonda's repertoire. You might like to say, like, I'm just watching this movie as its own thing. Henry Fonda's previous work doesn't mean shit to me. You know what I mean? Then right. his work is his work. But I think that um, if you're going to appreciate the movie in the first place, you're probably going to appreciate those other things. Maybe you didn't. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make that a dig on you, but like, but I think that what makes Frank so good is. Like, like Nico said, that great team of writers, like that, this is, it's, it's such a great character. It's probably like, other than like Noodles and Let's Talk Time in America and James Coburn and Ducky Sucker, it's like probably like the best written uh, Leone character. Add that on to Henry Fonda's image as like Hollywood's golden boy. That's like Leonardo DiCaprio playing, like, I guess he already played Calvin Candy, but it's like Jeez. Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> playing, yeah, like a villain. It, it, it's kind of like that, you know what I mean? Right, right. And like, did Brando ever play a villain? Uh, I mean, Apocalypse Now. He's kind of a dick in Apocalypse Yeah, I know, now, but he's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, but Brando doesn't like pull a gun on like a 12 year old boy, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're right, he does not. Um, but it kind of plays, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson and Mag- Magnolia kind of. <laughs> Here's the first book. There we go. <laughs> All right, guys, it's Cole a is a All Paul right. Thomas Anderson fan. <laughs> <laughs> so. Paul Thomas Anderson. Have you guys heard of him? No, so man. This guy, Wes Anderson? Oh, no, yeah. Um, P, is it P.W. Anderson? Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, <laughs> W.S. Anderson. Yeah, that guy. Just Anderson. Um, no, but uh, PTA, what he does with uh, in Magnolia with Tom Cruise, like Ma- Tom Cruise was this yeah. massive star, obviously, mm. um, and he still is. And so he kind of goes off of this, um, off the stardom that he has, and like everyone knows him, and puts him in this like role as like, an incel uh that's <laughs> right, that, like yeah, that, yeah. that appeals to like other incels yeah and that kind of like peels back the 
amazing persona that he has. And he kind of does the same thing with playing with the stardom that he has. As Honestly, uh, I mean, sorry. I know we're going on kind of a detour right now. Yeah, sorry about that. That's fine. I, I, don't even, I, I think um, that role is so great for Tom Cruise because he's like this weird, slightly misogynistic creep. Slightly? But he's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't want to say the words. His personality, but like... his personality Magnolia is gigantic and it totally fits who Tom Cruise is. But he's like, you're like, really? Tom Cruise is saying this stuff on stage? Um, I yeah, so I have not seen Magnolia. It, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Really it's, it's, pretty, it's it. on Netflix, Kyle. You should check it out. It's great. It's a flawed yeah. masterpiece. It's his... Bring it back to Leon. I actually wrote in my review of Magnolia that it's Paul Thomas Anderson's Once Upon a Time in America. Like, it's a little, like, overlong. It's really ambitious and maybe doesn't fully hit the ground, like, like perfectly. Like, it doesn't, like, land perfectly. But it's still, like, a masterpiece, in my opinion. Well, I mean, wouldn't you say it's Paul Thomas Anderson's shortcuts? Like, Altman? Uh, it's Tim yeah. and Altman. I mean, I think... Altman, I think like that most movies. Of I think Altman, so Altman, but I think that Altman. I think that Altman. I think that Altman pulled it off with Nashville. That like that long tapestry of uh, of of um, characters. Like like Magnolia juggles so many characters. Yeah, um, that's true. So I think that I think that Altman did it successfully in Nashville, and I think that Paul Thomas Anderson does it successfully, but it could still have cut out like twenty minutes. So let's bring it back to uh, Western. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah, do you guys yeah. have any issues specifically with Once Upon a Time in, in the West? I know Jack does. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> <guys. laughs> um, uh, yeah, a little bit. I, uh, I I think it's more of like a personal kind of thing because uh, I, I thought about it a lot. I don't really know how to explain why I don't like spaghetti Westerns that much. The, the biggest conclusion or the best conclusion that I was able to jump to is that uh, spaghetti westerns or any like let's just take westerns as a genre and feel free to mm -hmm. tell me otherwise because I might not know shit about this but if you're trying to describe a western genre one of the first words that comes to mind is gunslinger right because it's it's an archetypal genre like you you can describe the genre with a plot whereas other genres even like romance is like oh romance it's like yeah I guess there's a man and a woman but sometimes it's not you know, oh, I see how these, it is, Jax. <laughs> uh, anyway, whatever. But uh, there are all these nuances to other genres that you can drop in. And uh, I guess the best counter-argument to this would be No Country for Old Men is a Western, but it doesn't have no, it's this not. good don't versus evil. Don't give me evil. that shit, right? That's a neo-Western, right? <laughs> it's a neo-Western. All right, we're talking about it. And it's actually a Western. And, uh, that's better. That's better than my point. To, it applies to uh, bringing back Altman. McCabe and Mrs. Miller's a western. No, it's not. It's a deconstruction of yeah, the it western. Is. James, genre. don't even man. It's a western. It's a western. It's kind yeah, of a western. No, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't even consider Django to be a western. It's a southern. Well, the thing is, it takes, we're it talking can about take, spaghetti western specifically. Take, it can take elements of a western, like Dead Man, Jim Jarmusch with Johnny Depp. It's I'd not say a that's a western. Yeah, it is because it's got it, what what ends up happening is that these westerns by auteurs end up taking different political bents. And, and I that's feel great, like, and I love Bucci that. But... does that with the Great Silence, which we'll mm, discuss later. Yeah, but um, at better, the end of the day, it's so... still like individual man uh, fending well, for himself in the American wilderness. Well, I think that um, it's interesting when you're talking about politics and all that. I think that westerns done well. 
the reason that people say sometimes that John Ford's Westerns, like the John Wayne Westerns are kind of outdated is because I think that the Western reflects a time period that it was made in. Yeah. Like more so than any genre. And, and, and you look at, you look at, um, uh, the mercenary, you look, I mean, look at the spaghetti Westerns. They were made in the counterculture era where like men like didn't shave, you know, they had much longer hair, you know, like they weren't like the clean shaven, the, the good guys didn't wear black hats and the, and the, the bad guys didn't wear black hats and the good guys didn't wear white hats. You know what I mean? Like everything was much more muddled in terms of like, uh, in terms of like personalities and stuff like that. Like it, it really reflected the late sixties. You know what I mean? Like violence being shown in the media. I think so. And I think like revolution was in the air, yeah. like the, the little man winning, you know what I mean? Like it was. Look, look, man, what I see it, in, you know, in I, these Westerns, yeah, especially it, the spaghetti Westerns. What do you mean? What do you mean these Westerns? <laughs> what do you mean these people? No, what I, what I mean, what, what I'm seeing in them is like, like very secluded, isolated, good guy shows up to town, meets woman whose husband was just killed by bad guy. And then some stuff happens in the second act. Act two, low point, something bad happens. And then and the climax is this big shootout between the good guy and the bad guy. And then the shoot happens and then the good guy like stumbles or something. But then, uh, you know, then we learn that the bad guy actually died as always. Except it's a mercenary, man. That's a new, that's a new movie. Except what? for the great silence. But, um, and, and then uh, the- No, but there is, I agree with Jackson in that there is a pattern for spaghetti western. Yeah. But then, the, then which, the movie, which is why like, it's so much more exciting when films like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or The Great Silence break with that structure. As much as The Great Silence broke it in the end, it, it follows a lot of the same beats by beats. Does it? The beginning. I, no, I I'd think say so. it does, but it, it does it to play with your expectations to like make the ending all the more impactful which yeah, i guess brings us most to of the movies spent on the, the same track and then it breaks it in the last five minutes like is it really worth it i think so i think that I it's think it I, and i don't yeah. think it's, it's definitely an impactful credits or like an impactful yeah credits when they roll but like it's just about the time leading up to that right that, that's True. what i found uh personally bad with uh some of these movies anyways but there's a lot of i mean like stuff. when i was watching the uh the great silence like mm. i wasn't it definitely wasn't like the exact same as i would say like some some of leone's other films or even corbucci's other films uh i noticed that he was trying something different and i mean i guess it does follow a few beats similarly but mm. at the courts it's very, very unique and different from some of the other things that he's done. I agree. From just like, cha- like, like you're in a Roy Rise, but like even the smallest thing was like changing the setting, like in the snow. That's like, that's yeah. the, like now we like, now, okay, like now once it was in the sun baked desert and now it's in the snow, but that's like a big change. The, 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 we went from like kind of like a silent gunslinger to an actual silent gunslinger, you know, like. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I they they, like... they play on these types, you know. Like that's pretty like it, and 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 uh, I, think I think that's that... more falling into it, but okay. Yeah, but I think I think it's funnier when like the Coen <laughs> brothers introduce like a a loud singing gunslinger in uh, Buster Scruggs. Like the the that's a western. Figure... That's a western movie. That, that's a goddamn western. Yeah, but <laughs> like going back to the story, that's not a neo like, I, I don't think. I don't think Corbucci's like being revolutionary and like just going all the way and cutting. Uh, his vocal cords off. I just think. Uh, <laughs> was that guy real? Did, did that guy actually not have speech? 
No, but no, he's that gonna, dude, do you not know who Jean Louis Trenton Yo is? So they Come like, on, yeah, he's, uh, he's, yeah. Oh, Bro, yeah. have you not seen Kozlowski's Three Colors Red? He's so good. Oh, yeah. He's the old man. And he's in uh, Michael Haneke's uh, Amour. And he's also in uh, yeah. this movie of Anouk Ami, uh, A Man and a Woman. Yeah, yeah he's a great actor. He's yeah, by uh, Claude Lelouch. I haven't yeah. seen much from him. Yeah, he's, he's one some of Rex. France, uh, France's great actors. Uh, right up there with Alain Delon, like Belmondo, all those guys. Uh, but it, and, and I think that's cool that they cut his, literally cut off his tongue. Like, he couldn't say anything when he's such a great yeah. actor. Yeah, that's uh, such I, a great plot. And, and another, another great thing is the, the, the casting of Vanetta McGee as the widower in Great Silence. Mm. I, I guess. <laughs> they all kind of yeah. blended to me, man. There's not a lot of yeah. nuance. Except no, in, uh, an African-American actress in a Western. As the main love, uh, what do you call it? The main love uh, interest. 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 Yeah, I, guess that, I guess that was taking a risk, but like, can we get her a character? Not even a... Like... I think she had a character. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, the mercenary, uh, there was kind of a character with... Um, What's her name? The one that wasn't objectified. Um, Mass, you probably know. Oh, the, the one that was um, a soldier? Oh, Columbo. Soldier, yeah. Yeah. There, there was like more of like a fighting like chance to be a character in that one. But yeah, she's Navajo awesome. Navajo Joe, man. Great Silence. Bro, Navajo Joe is the most progressive movie ever. <laughs> wait, let's go. Now, is it Navajo Joe? Actually, wait, so are we, are we on... into Navajo Joe? Wait, are we going to stay on Great Silence a little bit more? Or are we going to, yeah. No, I'm going to yeah, straight I, up I, barrel I, roll I into Navajo Joe. I have a question about Great Silence. What's up, Kyle? Slight spoilers for the people who are listening, but is there a reason why everyone dies? <laughs> it's a bleak Slight ending. Spoiler. It's bleak. It's, uh... Uh, I, uh, well, I was watching this, like, Alex Cox thing on Canopy after watching The Great Silence, um, and he was talking about how he just couldn't, like, find funding, and he was, like, growing rather cynical. And uh, with Django and this, he just created these bleak, masterful spaghetti westerns. And, and, and it's a very interesting concept to kind of see his uh, emotional struggles being reflected in, in constantly having to deal with dead ends in the production. Well, and, and that actually happened, right? Like the massacre at the end happened. Yeah, yeah. it did. did the whole thing. Also, it so, feels like, um, sorry. No, no, no. That's a, that's a gut oh, punch of an ending. That really is. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Oh, the, the ending of Navajo Joe gets me misty-eyed, but like... <laughs> <laughs> no, Navajo! Navajo Joe. Navajo Joe. Uh, I just want to give credit to Klaus Kinski. Who's oh, what a great actor. Phenomenal. Mm. He's in, so good, uh, yeah. Great silence. His stare, like, One of the best actors ever. I think so, too, yeah. The Cole, you wanted and, to say something, right? Uh... I, I literally cannot remember. Oh, that's it. Okay, yeah. So there's a line in it, I believe, where someone's like, oh, yeah, this is the final frontier. And that kind of is what summarized the whole film for me. It feels mm -hmm. like they've been pushed out of the West and they've been pushed up. Um, uh, and so finally, like, the last stronghold of, like, actual, like, good, whoever, like, you know, the main character who has his tongue cut off. Um, Silencio. Hold up, like, yeah, Silencio. That guy, the, yeah, Silence, right. Um, <laughs> it's literally named after him. Yeah, the great one. <laughs> you know, the great one, yeah. <laughs> and so it feels like the end of him kind of shows, like, the... Well, that, that's for me, is, like, the beauty of that title is, like, on one hand, it's the great silence, like, the character, he's great, you know, he's this gunslinger, but also there's the silence of, of, 
of like of like it's like a death rattle, you know what I mean? It's like it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's sure. like like this like it's almost kind of a scary title, like a great silence, you know what I mean? Like it sounds like a grindhouse title, you know? Like it sounds like it just it it, it brings death, you know what I mean? Like and that's like, the great silence is definitely the bleakest spaghetti western, I think. Well, mm. I feel like uh, Leone alluded to this. Well, actually, more than alluded in in Once Upon a Time in the West, and Corbucci just hammers it down, just like the the expansion of of capitalism west oh yeah oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um that that ending just really <laughs> brings forth the bleakness of of this machine that's just like destroying everything in its path and the well, commercialization yeah. with bounty hunters really plays a key role in that and, and and it's interesting like i was talking about like when you bring up once upon a time in the west like that it's the whole movie the the railroad is coming through like the tr- the, the, yeah. tra- the, the, the 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 what is his mortimer uh he, he they he ends up losing in the end but like uh what, what am i trying to say but like he kind of wins you know what i mean like the, the 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 train comes through you know the cowboy yeah. is eliminated you know what i mean it's like it, and in the it, end with the great silence the bounty hunters win and in that sense i do think it is reflective of that yeah and cheyenne uh, dies paranoia the of, yeah. 60s fear against like big government and whatnot. That's what I'm saying, yeah. The, the Spaghetti Western really reflects, like, the counterculture era of the late 60s. Well, I wouldn't say it's, like, wholly reflective of the counterculture era in the but way that, like, there. Andy there. Warhol films are more reflective of it. Okay, man. Andy Warhol on the Spaghetti Western podcast. <laughs> but, uh, hey, hey, there, hey. there is a degree of revolution in them. For sure, for sure. And but, definitely... But, like, they're so silly. Like it's, it's <laughs> well, well, that's that's, that's Jax. That's where they're bringing in the genre roots into it. Like, like I think that like they're they're tackling serious serious subjects and often like dark subjects, but it's wrapped in this genre kind of style. You know what I mean? That makes it more like, take them seriously. Man. Makes it more entertaining. It makes it yeah, just but more, it's like, it's like a Trojan horse uh, in a way. Like it's just it's using the story telly trap storytelling trappings to to get their point across um mm-hmm. i think so too and i think that like like uh like a, like a movie like django uh um that's a movie about slavery but it's like wrapped in the spaghetti well, western are we talking kind about, like the original django or django and shame i haven't no seen no, no. i know you, you haven't seen the original the original django is also like a really uh, kind of uh, uh political movie it's kind of like a kkk-esque uh group of like of bandits but no, um, Django, but Django is like, it's tackling like slavery oh, and racism, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like, it's, um, it's, it's wrapped in genre style, you know? So like, I think that like the whole essence of the Spaghetti Western is at, at its best is tackling the themes of, of darkness. Like the Good and Bad and Ugly is, is anti, is an anti-war movie kind of. Now, uh, wrapping um... it. how does Navajo Joe tackle? Well, that's why issues. Navajo Joe is not a good movie. <laughs> I love it, but it's not a good movie. It's not a good spaghetti it western. Sucks so much. <laughs> when Mass admits a western is not a good movie, yeah. no, a spaghetti western. You guys keep, you guys western, keep, true. you guys keep using the word western. There's a western is it's it's what is a western? It's like a drama. Spaghetti right? western is a subgenre within yes. western. So I think yeah. saying western is still fair. Game. I disagree. Yeah, because, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, then want to move on to Navajo Joe. Joe. Yeah. All right. Can I just but the man, leaps, the, when he leaps oh, at man. someone? Oh my god! <laughs> so funny, so funny. 
Can I say how much I love Burt Reynolds' performance in Navajo? What an actor! You cannot. It's not expected. I love I love the nuance in his performance. Yeah. I love just like doing ninja kicks on a horse. I, <laughs> Burt Reynolds doesn't like Burt Reynolds. I, I love. I love. He hated the experience. He was like, "Why Burt Reynolds would I do this?" In Boogie Nights. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Burt well, Navajo Joe and, and Boogie Nights, two Burt Reynolds movies that he hated that are just utter masterpieces. But there's a great story. <laughs> don't know about there's a, that. Here's a great story that, first of all, Burt Reynolds only did the movie because he thought that he was working with Sergio Leone, not Sergio Cribbage. <laughs> it's like Bill Murray with what? the <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and he, Sergio Carbucci, like, drove him to the middle of the desert and left him there and made him walk back <laughs> <laughs> to set. <laughs> that, the worst and take into, it's also like in the middle of Franco with Spain in the 60s, just left Burt Reynolds in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in like a Apache gear. Like what, like what was he, oh God, everything about it is just so flawed. And and like there's yeah. there's so much animal abuse in all of Corbucci's Oh my films. God. Oh yeah. So Mass, <laughs> right, here's where we get into the hot topic. Mass. <laughs> Uh, says that animal abuse in, in film is not an issue because, dude, no, I did not. He said this. He said this. I was in cinema. <laughs> Do for the shot. Uh, well, no, I, I'm yeah. just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Pete, it's so easy for you to, to criticize a bad movie for animal abuse, but when people watch Apocalypse Now, are like, oh, Apocalypse Now, when they slay like they slay like 16 water buffaloes in that movie, you know what I mean? Like they were dropping yeah, cows from helicopters. Yeah, but no, but no, Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now, it's a great movie. But like Navajo Joe is a triumph of cinema. It is. Well, okay, going back to the counter-revolutionary <laughs> air, I feel like it kind of fits with that experimental sentimentality, especially when you go to like El Topo, another Western. By oh yeah, so good. Yeah. And having this like theory of panic and like being it, it's it's meant to provoke, uh, and that's why it's there. And it, I, I wouldn't say it's right, and I wouldn't go as far. Yeah, as to but say it was the sixties. For cinema, you know? like Uzi. I was but, joking. Oh, I was joking, right? That yeah, like I'm not I'm not gonna justify it, but I I understand why the the urge to provoke, especially Corbucci, like. Uh, in the, in the later on in the mercenary when they're like, what are, they have like a fight over horses and it's ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah. no, but like animal abuse is like prevalent in Corbucci's movies. Like it's hard to watch uh, the Great Silence, even the opening credits of the Great Silence when that horse is trudging through the snow and everything. And it's like buckles. It's, 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 yeah. yeah, not even before it falls, but just the whole time it's mi- beautiful opening credits. Uh, uh, yeah. And by the way, since yeah. we haven't even touched upon it. Ennio Morricone, like yeah, um, I was gonna oh, mention. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. oh my gosh! <laughs> so the one thing that is consistent with all these spaghetti westerns is the amazing music. That's actually awesome. Can, that is the one can, redeeming can, quality of Navajo. Yeah, can we have 15 seconds of silence just so I can play the Navajo Joe yeah, yeah, music? Sure, sure, all right, uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he Just, doesn't, yeah, he, what he was, what's so weird is because Andy Morricone, Morricone, he, he reinvented the Western score, but he also reinvented just scores in general, because like, 
before Morricone, the scores were just like all like symphonically based, you know, like violins and like uh, uh, like kind of like a, like just a regular orchestra. But with Morricone, what was so great was he had like electric guitars and snaps and whistling and like incomprehensible chanting and stuff. Like it was like in like it was an unorthodox kind of way of of, of scoring films. And I think that it's like now synonymous with the Western. Like even those spaghetti Westerns when they first came out were like, spaghetti Western is a racist term. Now people refer to it lovingly, but like that was like American critics saying like, Italians can't make Westerns, you know what I mean? But now when we think of the Western- He's won an Oscar, correct? For his score, right? Yeah. Hatefully, yeah, that's not even his best score. Uh, yeah, uh, but like, but now when you think of the Western, you think of, you know, but that's from a spaghetti yeah. Western, you know what I mean? You don't think of like the John Wayne movies, which is what most people thought of back when these movies were being made. So he basically just changed everything as he went along. Wow. And then he did The Thing. Which is a great yeah. score. The Thing is which great. Which is also a phenomenal score, yeah. And, and they, and they use Paradiso. Yeah. Yeah. Paradiso, yeah. Paradiso, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's more Kona. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's a great score. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, I have uh, The Mission. And he did Navajo Joe. Yeah. And he did Navajo Joe. <laughs> Perhaps his finest score. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I just think that actually the, the music um when he finally kills Aldo Sombral's character with the tomahawk, where like he like it's like the quick cut in the axe in the in the, in the head, uh and you just hear that chanting woman, it literally lifts your heart and it transcends the power of cinema. Navajo Wait, Joe is a, master, a masterpiece. No. Yeah, no, Navajo Joe is a very poorly made movie. I agree. But I, I have lots of fun. I have lots of fun with it. Oh, yeah. The, it, it's, it's probably it, the campiest well, best. No, I, I wasn't able, even able to get into just because it, it commits the worst in a movie can, can do and it's be boring. Like, I, I wasn't invested. Yeah, yeah it was like, like simultaneously hilarious boring. and boring as hell. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just love the way ridiculous. The, the pace just wasn't fitting it, and and Burt Reynolds was not helping. <laughs> Burt Reynolds is yeah. that was so goofy. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my like, god. The brown face is just insulting at that point. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, I can't. I won't defend that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nor should you ever. I'm not going to. Um, but I just think that, like, personally. Um, there's something about that movie that is so charming, uh, and so like irreverent that I can't help but have fun and rewatch it oh, constantly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't see how you can call it boring. Um, so, yeah. uh, what about The Mercenary? Oh, god, The Mercenary is just so great. Uh, Jack Palance in that movie is it's it's maybe the best Corbucci movie. I still think the great silence just features. He like, played Curly, right? Curly, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, dude. I think also I also <laughs> think that I also think that Morricone's music in that movie is probably his best Western score. Really? Yeah. Oh. The 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 whistling in that movie. The whenever uh, yeah, Franco Franco Nero's character is is just Franco Nero so good. In Franco it. Nero is a legend. He I, I love like how they had him dub his voice for the English uh, for the English version yeah. of the film. He kind of has like a small accent, which doesn't fit at all. Like, well, he kind of does, but it's just I don't know. I just love his character, and I and, and I love the um, the the ending duel. Not the it's a, it comes yeah. like, it's actually like twenty minutes yeah. before the end of the movie, but it's just a great scene. Like the, uh, in the circus. Yeah, and the and how he's in a clown outfit and like how he's ringing the bell. Yeah. That shot from yeah. the back of Nero is just so good. I think that's when I started to love the film. Sorry. 
I think that? like when I knew I think that was the moment when I knew I actually like really liked the film because it was just so weird and it embraced how like kind of corny and like obviously like you know how how cheesy it can be at moments yeah with that one moment because it, it's basically saying this is like when you look at like the good the bad the ugly this these big ep epic like 15 minute walk arounds and yeah that, you know? they're, they're pretty over the top yeah yeah but then this I one like it, is yeah. like oh he's in a clown costume <laughs> you know yeah. it's like, oh, well. <laughs> it, it doesn't take itself seriously which is really great to see yeah, yeah uh, but, like it doesn't take itself seriously and at the same time it's this great story like of a revolutionary little group that that's trying to fight the big man and <laughs> and it, it's done with such levity to where you can't help but be engaged uh, that's that's what I love about uh, Mercenary. How do you yeah. guys feel about the objectification and What do you mean? That's great. Like the guy's like describing how he like leads an army and then he's like the brains are at the top and then he like points to some girl's ass and he's like and then the everyone else is the bottom. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, like, really? but like come on. But, but like <laughs> you see that animal once upon a time in the West, like with with Sh Cheyenne and Jill and everything. Like, um, obviously, I think the movie is definitely worse for it. But in terms of like basing my judgment upon that, I'm kind of of the opinion that it, it's a movie of its time. Like it, you talked about El Topo, right, Nico? Like that movie is just yeah. so like, um, <laughs> it's just like, what's the word, Nico? Help me out here. It's uh, I don't. It, well, it it's, it's pretty it's provocatory. Yeah, but I don't think that the mercenary is being provocatory. I just think that it's a movie no. from the from the late '60s and. Like it's yeah, just, it, but it's not like people in the '60s like, you know, referred to their armies by objectifying women. Like what? Like I think also it, Europeans so making of the '60s. No, but I I I do think like Mexican revolutionaries in the '20s and the '10s probably did, which is. I, it just made and me no, it's, like it's characters awful. more. Yeah, like, um, it, it didn't lend anything no positive. Oh, in terms of the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of like impacting how you feel about a character, I 100% agree. Yeah, and when a character yeah. is just blatantly misog uh, misogynistic, that's gonna impact. Like if Blondie, like uh, in the Good, the Bad, Ugly, had just like literally called like he just slapped the woman in the face like Angel Eyes did, I wouldn't like Blondie. Right. But he right. doesn't do that. He kills a ton of people. But he never does anything like that, you know what I mean? So I think that. I mean, also in *Once Upon a Time in the West*, there's like the ass slapping joke, and it's in that's for the for, that's for Henry Fonda's character. So it's like no, that's not for Henry Fonda's character. That's for uh, Jason Robards' character, Cheyenne. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, there is that weird scene though, the scene between Frank and 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 uh, Claudia Cardinale. That's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that Jill. Oh yeah, that was bad. Is that is really a pretty bad. complex character. I think that Jill's a pretty good character, and I think that she's. I think that like we're talking about like now it doesn't seem as big, but the idea that Claudia Cardinale is like the lead of that movie, and she, she's not like really like I don't I don't think that she's that objectified in the film. But it's amazing for like having a role that big and basically leading the film that it's it's such again there's gonna be some screaming in my opinion just such a bad character such a character that's like oh, Jesus. so by the numbers. And is she, you know, is she objectified because by she finishes that station? That's all her. Yeah, what do you want him to write? I wanted him to write the word station. 
That's what she wants. That's what that's what uh, Mc, that's what McBain wanted. No, it's not. That's what that was his dream. That's literally. Yeah, she was. Her whole, no, no, her no, whole no, thing no, is no. that she fills out what her uh, her dead husband. No, no, it was what they were gonna build together. This is exactly what I thought the podcast would be like. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it's beautiful. Like, it's oh. at the end that that beautiful shot where it's, I don't know if it's a crane or it's, it's, it's in motion and she's bringing that water out to those workers and we pan, we see harmonica riding and then the railroad goes on like, that's her, she did that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's an empowering ending. Not even in terms of like- the railroad though. company. Like guys are grabbing her. No, they're not. But I feel like Corbucci in general has like a better view of like women having central roles in his films. Uh, uh, as far as like, no, like, I like, in, like I feel like it's it's more po- it has more positive it has more positive term of feminism than like others. Like, I, I wouldn't call like it feminism, like, but I would definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, <laughs> like, like in like some other movies, like in westerns, I might see you might usually see like a woman like a vamp or a hooker or like some kind of which was there all not, the time in Navajo Joe. Yeah, but if we're not. Uh, at least the only one that I feel like does a good job of that is the mercenary with Columbia or whatever her name is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She's not like a feminist symbol or anything, but like, I know, but she's a badass she, character. Yeah, she, yeah she's not she's, bad. She yeah. just does good stuff like all the other characters. I love that scene. Like the, like the rescue strategy for Nero and Musante. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good scene. That's so well crafted and it shows like her role in the film. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think that just generally those old westerns, like both westerns, like the John Wayne and Howard Hawks and John Ford westerns and the spaghetti westerns, just didn't have the greatest uh, uh, portrayals of women. And that's like one of their biggest flaws, I think. And I think that one of the aspects of the neo-western talking about like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like you look at what's, is it Julie Christie who plays? Yeah, yeah. Julie Christie. Yeah, like yeah you, Julie you just Christie. see those like roles become completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that's one thing that like, I don't per- I don't personally like like criticize westerns for that because they're kind of all like that you know what I mean so I don't know I don't know if it's a flawed way of looking at it but I don't know uh, I, I guess I kind of am a bit detached to westerns like uh, Jackson is um, in a way because it is uh, I hate Jesus term but like the, the masculinity can be like a little bit yeah. toxic you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one with the detachments for me it's like okay we get it you guys shoot people yeah. have sex. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. you save women and i'm like that's great but like like you know just as an example once upon a time in the west she's like oh you should stay and he's like no i won't i'm a man and then he like kind of rides away on his horse or whatever it's like he doesn't say i'm a man don't even that's no he doesn't <laughs> but he gives the impression no, no he does not right? you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying yeah like that's the way you end up reading it i, I don't read it that way <laughs> I never How do you read it? I read it as that Harlanic's character. He's 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 like empty inside. What happened to him as a child killed him, and like he he can't have attachments like that. No matter how much you want, he can't feel love like that. He has to move on and just leave. That's actually pretty good analysis. But yeah. then why does every other Western protagonist act like that? When everyone's what? does Blondie act like that? Uh, little right. Unless I'm forgetting something. No. He doesn't, you know, the best Westerns don't have that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, also, like I was saying, Good, Bad, and the Ugly does a great job because it subverts expectations. And it doesn't have like, any female characters except for Bill Carson's wife. 
Uh, can't be sexist if you don't have any females. <laughs> there you go. Look, you don't need to have female characters. Just when you do, don't like make a joke out of slapping their ass, right? I know. I yeah. guess. No, I, I'm not arguing that the, that the, that the, some of these movies aren't problematic. I'm just saying right, right. that like. I don't know what I am saying, but I'm, I'm disagreeing on that one lens about harmonica. I, I completely disagree okay. on that. Okay. I don't think that's a very. Th I think that like in in a year where there are a lot of movies about to toxic men being praised, like Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. Marriage Story, and by the way, I have like, I don't even like like Joker is a shitty movie, and I love uh, Marriage Story and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but these yeah, movies, like, I, I, these I movies are. Joker, we can see your marriage guess, does, from behind you. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not like a huge fan. I just got that for free, so I have it in my room. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, I, I said it would think Joker that does speak to something ever out of made, and that you loved it. Who Look did? I being a big fan of Marriage. Story. Yeah, but it's not like one of my favorite movies. Like, like all the other posters in my room are my favorite movies, and there's like Marriage Story. It's uh, like, I don't think uh, I don't think Adam Driver's character in Marriage Story is he's toxic. Uh, repressed. Oh, he is he's not toxic because he he's a man. He cheated on his wife. Because his excuse was that he was young and in his twenties or whatever. Well, oh, or he was no, using but that as an excuse. With him. Yeah, I no, we're we're I'm talking like, about I... toxic masculinity here. We're not talking about. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think the character. film is like supporting that he's not his I... wife. Like, yeah, where, whereas the westerns would be like, look at how cool he is. Like, Mary Story is saying about Charlie. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I. 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 Uh, I, I, I. Fine. I'll. I'll admit to that. Sure. Whatever. Uh, I feel like on the westerns, though, it's not just westerns. It's more just like films from the time period. Hank, that's like, what I'm trying to yeah. say. It's not even just a western thing. Like it's a, it was the '60s. You know what I mean? Like find me movies that are more progressive than that. You know, like Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's a movie about a woman, right? Uh, and and it's a pretty great movie. It has its own problems. Every movie from the '60s has one thing that you can like point at and say, mm, you yeah. know, like I don't like that. Doesn't Easy Rider have a questionable like trails of uh, Easy Rider? Yeah, yeah. you no, could get mad at that one yeah. scene in One Hand Luke. Or cool hand Luke, like there's what, a bunch of. What's scenes. the one scene? Cool where the girls like <laughs> not one hand Luke. Oh yeah, that one where she's cleaning like, the there's car. A, there's tons of stuff yeah. you can always find stuff oh, yeah. to get mad about. Oh like. for sure, so, yeah. Uh, George Kennedy's character in Cool Hand Luke is a blatant misogynist. Yeah. He literally just views women as like a piece of meat. Yeah. 60s movies were just pretty questionable. I think that Bob and Carol. I wouldn't say and, all 60s movies. I'm about to like say, that, yeah. Though. Bob and Carol, well, not the family movies, but even Jungle Book was kind of racist, you know? But well, Bob Jungle and, Book is a whole other story. Mm. I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> John Favreau. Uh, Bob, <laughs> Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is pretty. Uh, pretty good movie in terms of just representation. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mary Poppins. Is it, though? Mary yeah. Poppins is cute. I guess, yeah. I'm just guess, saying. Sixties movies. I'm just saying that, like, what about Doctor like Strange Love, Psycho, Persona, Color of Pomegranate? Oh yeah, Persona. That's All a right, great. Well, movie. Bergman's just not really a holy. Great right, like, Persona, yeah. He's not really. Bergman doesn't qualify. Even for Sound of Music, I I feel like. Have we said Rosemary's Baby? We Rosemary's said, what could be what could be problematic about Rosemary's Baby? <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> All right, it's it's like a. All right, it's a movie about. What, no, what, I'm good. You I'm, already I'm, know. That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm, right? No, no, goddamn, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, but while the westerns can be pretty problematic, I just think that that's just uh, the older movies you get, like like the older movies get, the more problematic they are. I think. Yeah, I'm just talking about like westerns, like tendency to be misogynistic. It, yeah. It's like a problem, not just about one well, or two well, movies, but it's about like a direct. Look at this problem. too. Uh, my a great example is 
in John Wayne's westerns, the sidekick to John Wayne was always this actor, Woody Schrode. He was a, an African-American actor, a great actor, fantastic, one of the best, you know? Uh, and he was, he always, he played Pompey in uh, uh, Liberty Valance. He was, uh, he was the guy that followed around John Wayne Sheriff character. In Once Upon a Time in the West, he is an outlaw. He's his own man, you know what I mean? He's like, when we first see him, he's getting ready to kill Harmonica, you know what I mean? He's, he's not like, mm-hmm. He's not following John Wayne around and like helping and saving his ass and everything. He's uh, 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 he's a killer. So I think that there are in spaghetti westerns, although they could still be called problematic, they were way more progressive than than the American westerns. Way more. I have a question. Uh, was did Europe were they part of the Hay Code or whatever it was called? You know, the Hay Code, where it was like, oh, like the standards for movies. Did they? No, I don't think so at all. No way. Okay. Yeah. And especially, okay. if they, and even if they were, these movies like were like not really made within the studio realm. They were bought by United yeah. Artists like two years after they were made. But like, okay, they, they were made on like shoestring. Well, yeah, like, the only I, ones were. Yeah, I think The Great Silence is a great example of them not having to abide by the uh, honor code that like American films were subject to for the longest time. Yeah, well, there's there's nudity in all all of the all of those. Isn't that what we're talking about? Well, like, not, not not even no, but like, but like just to have like the good guy like, win at the end. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, that, that that was a requirement. Yeah. 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 Just yeah, like if a character like committed crime or something, they had to like kill themselves. Like it was, it was oh. kind of <laughs> had to be like trialed before like a justice yeah. system. Yeah. Had to have like, like yeah. a bad yeah. ending, like stuff like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I feel like that was used to show how brutal the world really is, and I think that was what. Corbucci was trying to get across with that. Movie. Yeah. No, we, we we were just saying that like they didn't have to follow the code that said they did. Yeah, yeah. and also like with the hate code, like that's when it started ending, like around the sixties. That's why like it's kind of problematic around then, because like all the movies are like kind of transitioning, and it's like in between like different standards and stuff, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, the spaghetti western influence, just like in recent years, and and all of movies, you know, like. What, what do you guys what do you guys have to say? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like the ball. music is a big thing. Like, especially the music. How so? Well, like, if... Well, even, like, Westerns today, like, I, I rewatched Ranga the other day, and, like, <laughs> it's nice. all, like, spaghetti Western-esque music. Oh, Rango, the name Django from Corbucci's Django. is just, like, that, that primarily yeah, that. that, that yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think also, like... The idea of like the lone kind of silent. I mean, I guess that wasn't from Spaghetti Westerns, the lone like gunslinger coming into town. That's actually from Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune's yeah. characters, from, like Yojimbo, Seven Samurai. Well, not really Sam- Seven Samurai, mostly Yojimbo, Sanjuro, yeah, and all those Jimbo, movies. Definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, Fistful of Dollars is a remake is, yeah. of Yojimbo, scene by, scene by scene, and a better one, in my opinion. Scene by scene. Oh, wow. uh, I don't know about that. Better. No, uh, didn't like, so. didn't, like no. a guy that directed Yojimbo like suit? Leone? No, he didn't sue them. He didn't sue them, really, but um, it was complicated. There, there was suing involved. But anyways, I just said that that like that uh, that image of Clint Eastwood as the silent badass has been like brought down into like action mythology, like John Wick, The Bride, you know, like Atomic Blonde, right, all right, that right. stuff. But like, even like Mad Max, you know, like like the George, the original George Miller one, like like the yeah. like, like kind of the quiet and like. They quick to his gun, you know, like, quick-witted, you know what I mean? Well, like, I think... the original Mad Max kind of plays like a Western. It does. And, that, that's why I love that. way, that, that something like the Rover does. 
and all the like I, I feel like the the prototype of the western lends itself to the like dystopic wastelands and those stories uh because it it showcases this like an archaic uh place where like you you have the freedom to do whatever and characters like mad max and uh the guy pierce in in the rover are able to do so it also kind of seemed like i mean correct me if i'm wrong but uh mm-hmm. being able to have all this violence as, as you were talking about like not have like the convict go to jail by the end of the film and like kind of uh oh yeah standards mm-hmm. like i mean especially with violence though like um carbucci's movies were way more bleak and, and violent yeah really violent movies <laughs> i was kind of shocked by that and yeah. i think that kind of opened the the gates for people especially today to be doing more grind hey, yeah yeah in general bloodier stuff like i'm him and peck and paw yeah yeah yeah, yeah whenever you bring up john wick i think that's like a really good point because mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was talking about the simplicity in westerns and how I don't necessarily admire that. But when when I go to see John Wick Chapter Three in a theater and John Wick's <laughs> character is ass to the max, I just can't help but have tons of fun. I haven't seen John yeah. Wick Three, nor have I. It's, it's crazy. crazy. I haven't um, seen any John. Just the guy with the book. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Should I watch I, them? Yeah, Great. John Wick. I watched the first one. It's it's sick. And I've heard the next two are even better. So I'll watch it. Yeah. I'll probably watch it tonight. Yeah. Actually, they're they're uh, very mindless, but they're like yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that like a movie like Mad Max Fury Road is really mindless too, but like not really because if you can appreciate the artistry and the, the craft, the craft behind it, then it becomes not yeah. mindless at all. You yeah. you have so yeah. much appreciation. So like maybe mindless story, but like there's other elements that make yeah. it like more yeah. of like a an interesting uh, film, you know. But um, I know also there's the spaghetti western influence on like guys like tarantino you know and i i gotta say the one thing that i never liked because i honestly like spaghetti westerns were what got me into movies and i've always had kind of a problem with him like kind of needle dropping some of those scores especially like when he uses the fistful of dollars music it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth but like it's un- undeniably he's been influenced by corbucci and leon's movies i'm trying to think oh, yeah. of like oh, yeah. To, yeah but besides even before django like like Kill Bill has Navajo Joe score throughout it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And like e- even the like surf rock and Pulp Fiction is very like Morricone esque, like the one he uses. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other like filmmakers that you think are have been influenced by uh, Leon Corbucci and those guys? Honestly, it, it just it just works its way up, right? Like there's gonna be some influence from these movies somehow because spaghetti westerns and like direct westerns as a whole like I was saying before, pretty archetypal, but you know, when you, when you bring it up to stuff like Star Wars, like even that oh, has yeah. Western roots. Well, that's, You're gonna find Western roots in tons of movies. And even more. Well, that, that goes back to Kurosawa. Yeah, uh, Throne of Blood. Uh, and Hidden right, Fortress. Right. Hidden oh, Fortress, no, the Hidden Fortress, yeah. not Throne of Blood, yeah. Hidden Fortress, the whole idea of like, the princess and the two, like the two squires, C-3PO and R2-D2, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that Kurosawa, so I think that Spaghetti Western takes from Kurosawa, and Kurosawa took from the Western. Takes from John Wayne. Yeah. John Wayne, yeah, because Kurosawa, like, was, like, he knelt at the altar of John Ford, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he oh, was... It's all a big cycle. So, and I think, yeah, it's all one big cycle, but I think that the Spaghetti Western did it best, so. Well, I, oh, all right. Surprising. Well, <laughs> what I find most exciting, uh, I think uh, James uh, agreed with me with this, is films like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and Which I love. These uh, or Meek's cutoff or um, I don't know even a, not a well actually 
what's that? What even is Slow West? West? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, uh, there's these like small little uh, character vehicles that use the the Western scenario just like as as a form of displacement yeah. to explore mm. wholly different topics and mess with your expectations. Yeah. 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 I I also like the the idea of like bringing like like uh, rock into the West. Like have you have you like even like Elmore, uh, not, what's the name? Uh, not, that's an Elmore Leonard. Uh, Leonard Cohen. Uh, oh yeah, and McKay McKay. Yeah, and then yeah. and then Bob Dylan. Have you guys seen Pat, Pat, Pat Garrett and Billy Yeah, such a good totally. movie. <laughs> Spy Kids, Jax. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Spy Kids is the best. best well, Robert, oh. Rodri- Robert Rodriguez, uh, highly influenced by spaghetti westerns. Oh, what about time in Mexico? Yeah, well, even his whole El Mariachi trilogy is so, highly influenced by spaghetti westerns. Um, I, I don't know movie. what we want to do for next episode, but I was thinking <laughs> sometime we could just watch Spy all Kid. four Spy Kids movies. Even Spy yeah. Kids 4D. Dude, I watched that in theater, movie. man. Well, his yeah. music is very like because Robert Rodriguez scores his own movies, his music is kind of like uh uh uh, uh influence, I think. Uh, once upon a time in Mexico is a clear one, but I think that El Mariachi, his uh low budget movie he did with like all non actors or, or Machete. Too. Well, Machete is just grindhouse nonsense. It's yeah, beautiful. but it's also it. got that. Uh, it's got. It's more of a Zapata uh, western than than spaghetti western, which is a subgenre within the spaghetti no, no, western. Was, so, just like which musically. Is, <laughs> yeah, we all progress. Uh, musically, it's got that feel. I forgot the Machete score. Maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, any more influences you guys to talk about before we wrap it up? Yes, I would like to talk about um, oh, specifically Lord. anime. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> but uh, Here we go. I, di- I didn't <laughs> want this. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Shinjiro, Shinjiro want to be who uh, made uh, Cowboy Bebop and yeah. Uh, yeah. Carol and Tuesday. And Cowboy Bebop, there's like so much spaghetti Western influence. I know. Um, yeah. uh, you could, like just from the music or. And like I believe episode two, like in the f- first couple episodes, you see him wearing like kind of like a not like really exactly, but similar tribute to like Clint Eastwood's outfit in uh, sure, yeah. The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and it just shows how far it's reached. And also in Carol on Tuesday, which I just finished watching for the first time, like maybe a couple weeks back, it's on Netflix if you guys want to check it out. Sure, uh, it's a very good anime, and. <laughs> some some pieces of spaghetti western music that's obviously influenced by Arena McCorney. Ennio Morricone. I know it's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for sure, definitely anime has taken like a big influence from westerns. I've heard a lot about Cowboy Bebop being influenced yeah. by spaghetti westerns. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that plays with the whole idea of the circle, like bouncing back. Japan to America, Europe, and back and forth, and then uh, even in Korea, you see films like *The Good, the Bad, and the Weird*. Oh yeah! Uh, which is oh yeah! Another like such crazy, a good movie. It's so dumb. Uh, and, campy mm-hmm. uh, and Nico, of this genre. The new film, the new Brazilian movie *Bacaro*, which yeah, is sure. highly influenced by *Spaghetti Western*, which I highly recommend. It's a beautiful, amazing movie with Udo Kier and Sonia Braga, and you can uh, you can watch it in a virtual theater. For like twelve bucks, it's really great. Uh, how yeah. it's 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 genre fun at its best, and I I've, I've been really happy with how many genre movies we've been getting recently, like Mandy, 
all the movies by S. Craig Zoller. Like, we've been getting a lot of good stuff recently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, everyone, that's it for today. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about slasher horror films, so please join us back probably next Sunday. All right, bye, everyone. Wait, 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 wait,